At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Morning, this podcast may contain bad language and some listeners may get high from it. I I started oh, I fucked up. Morning, this podcast may contain bad language and content that some listeners may find offensive. Well, yep. you've changed it. Yeah. Right. He, he got rid of the joke which he previously said, and out of context before going into a guest episode would probably not be the best thing to do. Ah, well, that's where you're wrong. Because I actually just messed up my intro, then tried to turn it into a joke, and then I couldn't quite land the punchline. Talking of guests, I've got a quick question for you, Cleves. I believe it's now July. Um, nope, I think nope, you said nope, Stevie nope, Wonder nope, by July. Nope. <laughs> How's that going? Let's say, providing there's absolutely no follow-up questions, well... Welcome to Seesaw Podcast. With your hosts, T, Cleves and Selena. Every week, bringing some much-needed balance and humour to brighten up what can sometimes be a dark, disabled world. Welcome back to Seesaw Podcast, the wonky microphone that is podcasts. It was a bit of, well, a great one this time. That doesn't even make sense. No, it did not. <laughs> God, you two were on it tonight. I know, I know. I was trying to think of something original and cool and witty, like the last couple that I've done. But unfortunately, I forgot about doing it. So I'm not sure anyone described them as that, but go on. So welcome back, everyone. Uh, we do have another amazing guest today. I was actually in this one. Don't you were in the last that? one, just very briefly. Yes. <laughs> They should all feel very privileged. Not just for me being here, but we are chatting to Christopher Wood, MBE, about getting high on planes. And by that, you mean disabled issues and rights of aircraft. Hi, Chris. Good evening, chaps. How are you? Very good. Very good. You've uh, come on our radar because of Disability Expo, which we'll be attending as well. And like, it's been a great source for like, getting to know everyone uh, who's doing amazing work out there because as, as you know social media can be a little bit of a funnel sometimes and did I you think... mean to open with a flight-based pun no i okay, did not never mind let's go on but, we'll... <laughs> but of course you have been a huge advocate for accessibility in aviation as well as some other areas and doing a lot of amazing work I suppose to, to start off, uh, Chris, if you would like to sort of give yourself an introduction and, and a brief background of, of what you've done and like, what, what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, I, I suppose it's turned the clock back a little bit, really, to 2015. We went to Mexico and it, I just 
wondered why is this so brutal for someone like my daughter to be manhandled and have to be able to sit in a passenger seat that's not suitable for her. And so that was my trigger. And then my daughter Taylor here, uh, she went through that. And then a few months later, I took my son to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and Geordie, like Taylor, is also a power wheelchair user. And and that was brutal as well. And I really kind of thought, I thought why has nobody kind of looked to solve this? Why is basically aviation or air travel not inclusive? I mean, that's the headline. And I just really got on my computer and um, I, you know, I've got a business background, so I get it. And went on my computer and researched and researched. And there have been some ideas floating about, but they're normally the ones on the back of recreational and hallucinogenic drugs which involve um, glass bottom aeroplanes and all sorts of seats being changed around. But in theory, nothing really that was pragmatic and would get through the wealth of aviation certification that you need to do to get a thing on board an aircraft. So I quickly learned that this thin metal tube that we called an aircraft flies up in the air at 30,000 feet, at something in the region of four to 500 miles an hour, and sitting in there is in excess of 200 people in a pressurized cabin, all sitting on top of 40,000 gallons of fuel. So basically, we're in a bomb. So we're trying to now get an electric mobility device in that space. And let me tell you, everything that goes on that aircraft, whether it's a seat or a fire extinguisher, goes through a certification process. And there's a good reason for that. They don't fall out of the sky. And when they do, and it's rare, we're all absolutely agog. Uh, how this thing could fall out of the sky, but they rarely do because the safety is a priority and quite rightly too. However, that's passenger safety. And as far as I'm concerned, my son and my daughter are not safe traveling in a passenger seat of an aircraft. They would be much safer sitting in their own power wheelchair. And that was my view. And that's the road I started going on. So I learned about aviation I, I stepped into their auditorium and thought, okay, well, what does Part 21J mean? What does this mean? What does that mean? It's full of acronyms. It's got acronyms for acronyms. Um, yeah. I just learned the industry and tried to see where the challenges were. And then from there on, I got together with two of the, uh, the gods in uh, cabin design and cabin certification, and we formed a consortium called Air for All. I sat in a coffee shop with one of them, and on a bit of paper, we sketched out what it would look like if we were to put uh, a power wheelchair inside this cabin. And then we took it to the gods of Prism Good designers. And me and Nigel from SWS certification sat down with those guys. And we, between the three of us, said, yeah, this could work. So we have a sketch of a bit of paper. From my perspective, that could work for a power wheelchair, as I'm kind of the only one on there with that user-led experience. We had Nigel who was certification, and he would look at the design and go, we can get that through, we can't get that through. And uh, Dan, primarily at Priestman Good, would be designing around what we think would work. And this is where we are at Hamburg last year, the biggest aircraft interiors exhibition in the world. And we showed it to everybody. My bar was very low, thinking nobody would come on board and I'd be out there flying leaflets around but we didn't stop for three days with airlines coming in and out and the uh, the Airbuses and the Boeings and the supply chain. It was absolutely endless. And you could probably see from the press how that the reaction and the reaction on social media. So 
we think we got it. We've got it as close as we have. Need some tweaks to do. Um, we're working on tilt and recline for the set. That shouldn't be a difficult thing. There are some other things we need to look at. So I hope that gives you a broad scope of the last few years. Like from, from your background, you mentioned you were in business. So, of course, aviation wasn't, like you said, you had to learn it all. What, what were you doing before aviation? Um, so I just run a small hire company, um, a family business. And as this started to progress, I decided to move away from that and concentrate on on getting this through. I, I have to say, I did initially go around the charity sector. I think there was an element, because I funded this all myself, you know, so being no doubt this has cost me quite a bit of money personally. But nevertheless, I went to the charity sector and they said, no, this can't be done. You won't do it. But if they funded me, you know, it, it, it could have been done a lot quicker. But it wasn't there, wasn't there to be done. And to be fair, it is quite a challenge. But I, as you go through a campaign, doors will close and others will open. And where that door closes always be nice. And you open another door. And what I did find, there were people in aviation who really wanted this because it was third degrees of separation. It was the, uh, my, my nephew's in a wheelchair. I get it completely. My, my sister uses a wheelchair. She's got MS. Suddenly all these people were, you know, seeing me for a coffee. Uh, Chris, I work for Boeing, Airbus, Bombardier. Here's my card, but I'm a little cog in a big industry, but I'd be glad to trigger some conversations for you. What processes did the airlines have in place? Uh, before you came along that weren't adequate enough to make you want to put this into place? Uh, it's, it's it's brutal. It's undignified. And uh, my daughter's sitting in about £20,000 of wheelchair, which could get broken. And it costs the airlines millions a year. So you had to throw the business case. There was two parts of the business case. One, the damage that they inflict on the wheelchair. So what does it cost them? And that's several million a year, depending on the size of the airline. And uh, that was one of the business cases. But the one that was always tricky was uh, I always found there's a lot of people on social media said, you know, wheelchair air travel. That, that's why I don't fly, because I don't want my legs broken. Mm -hmm. So we always had that kind of invisible group of people that refused to fly, but would if they could stay in their power wheelchair. And if you talk to the industry about civil rights and human rights, it's not just airlines, it's many other industries as well, and many other countries as well. Um, yeah, that, that doesn't wash. Like you said, like it's, it's not just there's the business side of it, but I imagine it's not just the flight as well. Um, I'm not a wheelchair user, but I, I do have a guide dog and a long cane. And I think for any disabled person, airlines in particular, I've always had pretty shady experiences on the on the aircraft myself i'm fine but everything leading up to that through assistance sometimes it's amazing sometimes they're very <laughs> rabby sometimes it's I, I, all i need is a guide but they're like okay we're gonna put you in a wheelchair to get you through the terminal and oh dear mm. and it's it's always uncomfortable because i always feel that that diminishes like wheelchair users themselves because i i've not that isn't the access I require. It's just a guide. So I suppose my question is, like, outside of the actual air travel itself, are there any other barriers or areas that air, airlines, airports, like, where, they're let, where they're letting down disabled people, particularly those with reduced mobility in the yeah, general approach? There's, there's a wide spectrum here. If we look at Tony yourself, I mean, uh, someone asked me once, how does somebody with a guide dog travel from, say, I don't know, let's go to L.A. 
And I said, well, because they have a dog with them, they will make a stop between. They won't let that dog travel for 10 hours. I'm sure I'm right in saying this, Tony. Yeah. It's, it's they will stop and they will take a break and take a second flight on because, you know, the, the dog is part of them and they need to look after each other. So that how it works. But, I, you know, I, I think reality is that, you know, you, you're never going to see a dog toilet on an aircraft just as you're never going to see a changing places on an aircraft. You know, why is there no changing places? Well, imagine hoisting somebody and suddenly you hit turbulence. Can you imagine the fun with that? Yeah. So, <laughs> but there is a wide spectrum, Tony. And we, there, there's lots of good tech coming through. But certainly in Europe, I think it's a bit more of a challenge because, um, airports and airlines are a bit like oil and water. They they kind of don't like each other very much. And the, the way that the system works, yeah, it, it's not great. It needs it's called eleven oh seven. Anybody listening to this want to type in EC eleven oh seven and just put um, airport after the end of it or airline, and you'll see the legislation there. And and it falls right outside the um, it's not the Disability Act, the Act. Um, what is it called now? Not the Disability Act, but the Quality, the Quality Act. Yes, it's that one. Um, but airlines, if you look at the Equality Act, airlines is right outside it. And, uh, yeah, there's reason for that, because as soon as you go airside, you're, in theory, not in the country, and you're flying to another country, which probably don't have it. So, to me, it's a bit of a cop-out, but, yeah. You mentioned about you're never going to see changing places, toilets on an aircraft, but using the toilet for, for people who are wheelchair users or using the toilet on a plane is, is a tough job. Like, have you been doing anything to, to help with that at all? Well, over in the States, there is some legislation going through at the moment. There's um, uh, a body called the PVA, the Paralyzed Veterans of America. And I think in simple simple terms, they put the Department of Transport in America. They took them to court and said, we on a single aisle aircraft, we would like an accessible toilet, please. So that's ongoing. It's very likely that the DOT will um, submit and agree that the airlines must put an accessible toilet on there. But the unknown is how long they will give them to modify the aircraft to do that. Now, in the airline's defence, that's going to cost them a lot of money. But my argument is, well, you should have done it years ago, so hopefully you've saved it up in your piggy bank. You should have done this 20 years ago, not not today. So you've got away with something for 20 years you haven't had to spend the money on. So someone in in um, who looks at what might happen, and I forgot that, oh, it's, it's, no, I'm forgetting stuff, uh, like an actuary or some or a prediction of finances, would have had that in his log. So, therefore, it is coming. I think the reality is an accessible lav, um, unless we can get it bigger, then it's going to be very tricky. And, you know, airlines will tell you that their real estate, in other words, the seat we sit in, is the most expensive in the world. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Like, I feel like I'm quite well travelled and obviously I'm visually impaired myself. So I am a disabled person on a flight. And my brother, um, he, he's blind with profound learning difficulties. So my parents, when my brother needs the toilet on a flight, they have to squeeze in there with him because he needs full personal care. Um, so that's definitely an issue for us. But I don't think I've ever got on a flight where there's not been other wheelchair users, to be honest. Disabled people do travel and do travel a lot. So it is really shocking that, you know, all this time there, there hasn't been accessibility requirements as a standard they did legislate on wide-bodied 
because that was what everybody, the twin aisle aircraft, the jumbos, the big ones, they legislated on that. But what's happened, there's been a change because the single aisle aircraft, which really didn't fly very far and nobody really cared about, um, suddenly they're a lot, they go a lot further. So you can get a single aisle aircraft now go from, from London Heathrow, um, all the way through to New York. So whereas before they'd probably fly down the Benidorm and not a lot further than that. But now they're flying further and further. So airlines are buying more single aisle aircraft than they are the twin aisles. So therefore, this is where the, the balance has changed. And that hence why the, the PVA are doing the action that they do. As I say, it will happen. How big a footprint they're going to give us, I don't know. Might argue that, um, and quite rightly too, that with the air for all system now, it might trigger a lot of other things inside that cabin. You know, in America, you have to have a Braille card on board. Now, you could argue, well, we don't all use Braille. We use this different ways of doing things and tech changes everything. But we don't have that in the UK or Europe. In America, they have to have an aisle wheelchair. In the UK and Europe, there's no legislation to say they must have that. And that's not right. You know, it's not right that, that the two laws are not harmonised, first and foremost. Just wrong on so many levels. But, yeah, the industry's a law to itself, Selena, I'm afraid of. And obviously you're doing all this great work and it feels like you're doing it solo. Are there other people out there doing what you're doing? So I have a good team around me. Obviously, he's now set up the consortium and we're going to look at other things. So we, we picked power wheelchairs and we picked a single aisle aircraft because that is the toughest nut to crack. So once you crack that, then the bigger aircraft and other mobility devices should, in theory, be a lot simpler. Now, there's a, there's a kind of a black and white here with a huge grey bit going down the middle. That is, so people in power wheelchairs tend to need more support. They have thoracics on the side of their chairs and they have, uh, will not sit in a passenger seat. On the other side, manual wheelchair users, where I have a lot of friends and I've asked them, do you want to sit in your manual wheelchair while you fly to New York? Nada. Don't want to do that. I sit in a passenger seat. So you take a typical um, Invictus athlete or a Paralympian, they have really good upper body strength. So they wouldn't want to do that. But yeah, they'd want to get to the toilet in a bit more of a dignified way of being trotted down the aisle on a shopping basket and then trundled into a toilet that they can't fit in. However, let's focus on what I, I can do. And we need to look at that. So manual wheelchairs could be accommodated because some of those are bloody expensive. I mean, all accessibility all, all equipment is very expensive. I think that's often under undervalued by those who aren't in the disabled world, disabled yeah. community. Um, everything from like, like you say, manual wheelchairs, like you can get the ones from the NHS that can be from a hundred, couple hundred pounds. Um, I have a colleague at work who's just spent close to ten thousand on a manual wet wheelchair. Yeah. And yeah. then there's a yeah. <laughs> and the anxiety that comes with that, because a lot of the time this is out of your own pocket. Like there, there's not really much, there are some charities that do help, but a lot of it can be on the individual or the family and friends. Very who much so. This. Very much so. And um, so that, that, so that's why we hit that one hard. And we also thought that is a good business case because they're the expensive chairs. I think Stephen Hawking's was, 
around seventy to eighty thousand dollars his chair. Um, of course, he was you know he wasn't short of a few bob with Stephen, quite rightly too. So most of the time when he lived and travelled around America, he hired a jet, and the rules of engagement in a jet are very different. He can sit in his wheelchair and go where he wants as long as the pilot's happy. So I, I, so tell you what I'm saying. I identified that as as a business case that the airlines might listen to. If you stop trashing these chairs, you're going to save a lot of money. Do they have insurance or anything like that to cover cost of damage to any sort of accessible equipment? Or is this something they're they're paying out of pocket? They're paying out of their pocket. Can't get insurance for that. But it's not that so much, Tony. Is my daughter's wheelchair was smashed. It's not like she could go down to Argos and pick up another one. Yeah, um, this is just it, it's bespoke. So there's no none of her wheelchairs in Argos's magic book of dreams. It's not there. <laughs> no, I, I completely understand. It's the knock-on effect of that damage. Yeah, it? it's not yeah. just what it is. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to get to your holiday and and the wheelchair be damaged because then what what do you do? Yeah, you say you exactly, it's one. the worst case scenario. I have known friends that have literally been on a stretcher for a week's holiday and not more. And, you know, it's just... <clears throat> so what sort of things are Airparole and yourself doing to sort of combat that sort of stuff? So this is our first go at a design, and we have others in the pipeline that will look at other things. And you will be sad to hear that I am under non-disclosure agreements, so I can't say too much, but there is good reason for that because we haven't actually... We've got them all on paper. We think we're there. We think we've done it. But there's no point in showing you something when it's going to fail. Let's show us. But we've got so much. Very confident with it, by the way, because of the team that we've got with us. But there are other things that are coming through. One of the things I want to do, which is is in the kind of radar, a, a lot of manual wheelchairs are obviously getting broken. And this is in the hold of the aircraft. So I'm an old roadie from the 70s. And when you picture Rick Waitman's keyboards in a flight deck, flight a case, I mean, the flight case weighed more than the bloody keyboard. But these days, you know, 40, 50 years on now, there's companies out there with very, very light materials and still very, very strong that we can put a manual wheelchair in. Now it's going to get there in the other end in one piece. This is this is always like the, the magic question that I like to throw in. If, let's say tomorrow, Chris, you become chairman of all things aviation and what you say goes and that goes for airlines airports and you can mandate everything that needs to be done regardless of how much it's going to cost them what would you of course you're doing all the amazing work yourself but what if you had the ability to get all of these huge corporations to do that by your will what would be the the first thing you would have them do I would engage them with the charities, get focus groups set up, and I would also make sure those focus groups are paid because quite often you see disability groups and industry or business come to them and say, look, can you help us? We're trying to do an accessible project, and they expect it for nothing because we're doing you a favour. No, mate, you start paying us. We, 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 We know what we're doing here, and you start paying us. So that's what I would do and try and resolve the problems. But they also, these focus groups must be able to understand the limitations of a thin male tube. It's as simple as that. This is not a train, a boat, a a car. It's very, very different. The rules of engagement are very different. And once you understand that, you understand that. Now, going back to toilets, I did consult on a toilet uh, with a company over in Singapore. And um, they wanted this accessible toilet 
to be all things to everyone. So we're talking about um, someone who is blind or, or um, partially sighted, deaf or hard of hearing, autism, the lot. We wanted this toilet to be all the one thing. But you guess what? You can't please everybody all the time because as soon as you put one in for one, it, oh, no, I can't stand, I can't deal with that. You put voice control in, it's going to affect somebody on the spectrum of autism somewhere. And more importantly, what language do you put in? You know, and it's so challenging even on that point. And I think we've got to address that, that you just can't fix everything for everybody, but you can get as close as you can. And so it, it is a challenge and it doesn't matter whether that's in a train station or an airport. But I, I think it, it's a it's a tricky challenge because you haven't got the space to put different types of toilet on aircraft. Male and female go through the same door. Are the things that you started to do for aircrafts also able to be done on things like buses and trains as well? Certainly the system that we've uh, patented uh, is available for trains as well, yeah. And um, so uh, we were very conscious of that and buses, whether it's an adoption that someone would like to use and most of our rail providers, they like to think they're privatised, but they're not. They're, all, they're just all owned by the government. It's probably going to be more of a trigger in places like the US or Canada where they're privately run and spaces everything. Imagine one of them on the bullet train. Jesus. Well, I imagine it's like Ryanair. You, you get what you pay for in a lot of cases if you want to sit down. And that's exactly it, Tony. And that is exactly the nails on the head, you know. And some things, if you pay a bit more, are better. And when people fly by Ryanair, you think, well, it's Ryanair for a reason. However, Ryanair have rules of engagement that they must do. And they are, and this is something next week, we've, we've got a ministerial roundtable with Baroness Veer, our aviation minister, and I'm not sure whether she's going to address this, but really these airlines just don't care when they break the rules because they know there's no fine involved. So, you know, there, there needs to be some form of, if you're going to cart somebody off an aircraft just because their wheelchair don't fit in the hole, despite that person giving you all the information you asked for, that's wrong. Yeah, they don't care. They just don't care. And Ryanair don't care if they get a poor rating because we are looking at now rating airlines. Uh, sorry, I'm on the board of the CAA Access Group, and they are now looking at rating airlines, everything from poor to to uh, very good. And do you know what? People like Ryanair don't care, mate. It's, it's cheap to fly with us, and that's it. Yeah, that undermines the good airlines, the Virgins and the BAs that do try hard, really hard to make that journey perfect in an imperfect system whereas Ryanair don't care and I hear you're going to be an expert I, I mean I'm personally not going to be there because uh I'm away at Silverstone I know you took uh your kids to watch the the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and I can't quite afford that I'm uh gonna be <laughs> dirt balling it at uh, Silverstone in a crappy tent however <laughs> <laughs> I've never uh, camped uh, an F1 I've done Glastonbury and Reading and all the others in my time and some with the kids as well um, and we've always camped, but never camped at an F1. F1's okay. great. Camping's terrible. I don't know how people do it. But these guys are going to Expo. T, Selena? Yes. And, uh, of course, you're going to be there as well, Chris. And, uh, well, where can people find you? What What are you going to be doing there? Well, you can find me in Cheltenham at the moment, but that would be very wrong and very stalkerish, like, if you were to do that. However, on social media, you'll find me um on twitter at flying disabled and on linkedin probably at flying disabled chris wood chris wood on facebook so i've got a really messy social media when you're campaigning 
And when you're lobbying, you want to find people that can make the change. Twitter and Facebook, someone once told me, Facebook is where your friends hate you and Twitter is where people love you and want to do things. Although I think that narrative's changed now. Twitter's just angry, full of angry people. It's quite toxic. But LinkedIn is where the academics are, the businessmen, the people that understand industry. Um, There's a great lady in Canada called Mayan Ziv. And um, Josh Winterskill as well. He's got a good presence. And um, and John Morris over the States as well. So we we got the message on out and it was really circulating around. And you know what the message was? Now, this is the thing. So we've collaborated with a, a company called Delta Flight Products. So whilst we can design and certify and bring all the experience that I have into making this thing, um, we still got to manufacture it. So we got together with uh, somebody else with a company called Delta Flight Products. Now, Delta Flight Products are a subsidiary of Delta Airlines. So and the, yeah, the, it's clearly obvious. However, Delta Flight Products, who are brilliant, by the way, they're really innovative. And we, we're looking at doing other things Ooh. together. They think outside the box, uh, which is just what you need. And they are a great company, great team of engineers, absolutely clever. Mm, my God. But, of course, on social media, Delta Flight Products doesn't really have very much of a presence. So everybody put Delta in. And Delta have a statement that says, we are not part of Delta Flight Products, but we're watching the project closely. However, for the first time in their life, probably, Delta Airlines have got the best PR they've ever known because everybody was posting, if Delta Airlines are doing this, take all my money. I'm flying with nobody else. And for the first time ever, wheelchair users, which normally post about, you broke my wheelchair, are going, we love you. You know, we are loyal. We will be there and we will support you. Do this. Absolutely. So, yes, go and uh, follow Chris. Um, and support everything that is uh, aviation accessibility. I'll put all the links in the show notes, of course. Um, and Chris, you're going to be on a People's Panel at Expo as well, so people will be able to see you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So come and meet us. Come and meet Chris. If you want to give your thoughts um, to any of these amazing things that Chris doing, or if you're a big money hustler with transport knowledge and you want to just, I don't know, give a bit of a wink and uh, – over to Chris to, to give everything a hand. Um, I'm sure that will be like, hugely helpful. Yeah, any 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 coin is worth it, but please, no Bitcoin. I, you're going to be dodgy. <laughs> Seriously, it's been it's been a long journey. We are kind of turning the corner now, but the next corner is is not a challenging one, but it is in terms of time. But I want to try and speed this up. And we've had since Hamburg. You, you wouldn't believe the conversations we're having within the industry. And it's the industry that needs to change. Um, and there's a lot of work going on over in the States. Uh, our government's not great on aviation and accessibility. Um, so I'm not expecting to get a lot out of them. However, in America, because they use buses like we use trains and planes. So, you know, it's much more of an issue over there. So it's nice to have that US and UK kind of collaboration coming together. A, it stops any war that might happen in between us because it will get in the way of our project. And, you know, it just builds that bridge, which is, uh, which is great. And But I think the trigger will be in America and everybody else will follow. So, Chris, we will put all your, the links in uh, the shows below but it's been amazing having you on yeah thanks for having me on thank you very much
And we're back. Put your seats and tray tables in an upright position. There was a bit of turbulence there with the static at the end, but really great, great chat. A lot of interesting and amazing things happening in disability aviation, and we will keep an eye on what's coming up when those NDAs drop so we can find out all the juicy, juicy stuff that's going on. And Disability Expo tomorrow, maybe. 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 Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Seesaw Podcast. Your feedback and comments mean a lot to us, so if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so in the following ways. You can find us on Twitter at Seesaw Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Seesaw Podcast. And you can also join us at SeesawPodcast.com. Remember to like, rate, review, and share with a friend. This podcast was recorded in front of a blind audience.